turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Company and other factors. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. blind but now 
the apostles returned to Jesus and told him everything they had done and taught. Many people were coming and going, so there was no time to eat. Jesus said to the apostles, Come by yourselves to a secluded place and rest for a while. They departed in a boat by themselves for a deserted place. Many people saw them leaving and recognized them, so they ran ahead from all the cities and arrived before them. When Jesus arrived and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Late in the day, his disciples came to him and said, This is an isolated place, and it's already late in the day. Send them away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat for themselves. He replied, You give them something to eat. But they said to him, Should we go off and buy bread worth almost eight months' pay and give it to them to eat? He said to them, how much bread do you have? Take a look. After checking, they said, Five loaves of bread and two fish. He directed the disciples to see all the people in groups as though they were having a banquet on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, broke the loaves into pieces, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate until they were full. They filled twelve baskets with the leftover pieces of bread and fish. About five thousand had eaten. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. We're Ray and Alexandra Greenling from the National Prayer Chapel. I've heard so many sermons preached on this passage of scripture and the ones found in other portions of scripture dealing with the feeding of the 5,000. But somehow it's so easy to miss the real heart of the issue. And to really get at that heart, we almost have to go to the book of John and begin to understand what was happening there. When you look in Mark 6, it indicates that Jesus did not think his disciples had properly understood the miracle. And he said that their hearts were hardened. That is, their hearts had a, a stone-like substance. They were covered with a thick skin. They didn't understand what had happened. They understood that the loaves and the fishes had been multiplied. They understood the story. They watched it take place in front of them. But often in the teachings of Jesus, we've got to go much deeper than the outside surface of the story. If your reading of the scripture does not change the way you behave. You have misunderstood the teaching of Jesus. For Jesus is about drawing the net in with the good fish and the bad. And the judgment will come and they will be separated one from another. You notice the net is not the world. 
the net are those who call themselves the people of God. And there is a separating process that goes on at the judgment amongst those who are called by his name. How is that possible? How is it possible that Jesus would give a parable about a wedding feast at the very end of his ministry and say that half were wise and half were foolish? Now, I want to be very clear. I don't want to be cast out at the end of time. I don't want to be one of those without oil considered foolish and blocked out of the kingdom of God. I want to do everything in my power to pray through, to gain understanding that I could enter the kingdom of God. I want that for you as well. Yes, another way of describing what you're saying is you're speaking about a a holistic understanding of what it means to be a Christian, where our Christian identity infuses every area of our lives. We don't just have our Christian part of our life and then the work part of our life, but our identity in Christ is so well formed that it's natural. It just comes out. And it doesn't seem contrived or unnatural and no one's offended by it because it's just part of who you are. You see this sometimes um, at, at meetings, for, for example, the Christmas party at a business where a woman at the Christmas party is just talking about how she's preparing pies for her church. And it doesn't seem strange, even though most of the people there aren't Christians and would even identify as atheists. And I just want to say briefly, one of the best examples I saw of this in written form was actually in Uncle Tom's Cabin. If you haven't read this classic, it's by Harriet Beecher Stowe. And what I love about the characters in this book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, is they, it's like they're just overflowing with God. So you'll have scenes where two characters are speaking and one character starts to kind of go down the road of of saying, you know, wicked thoughts, we might say, or of getting bitter. And then the other character will kind of just erupt in a compassionate, uh, effusive response of saying, oh, no, don't say that. Don't think such wicked things. You know, trust in God. And I just love that. I'm like, this is one of the best examples I've seen of just what it means to live the daily Christian life. And that is what we want. We're living in a time when there is so much evil just gushing out of men and women's hearts. And there is such abuse and such utter wickedness with infanticide being praised by the governor of Virginia. I mean, there is such undeniable wickedness that is taking over in America. And and I want to come and lift up Jesus because wickedness only brings oppression. It only brings sadness and brokenness. 
Jesus comes and he heals that brokenness. He restores us to righteousness. He gives us a place of standing. Now, when we look in the book of John, and this is part of why I want to go there now, when we look in the book of John, there is such opposition to the teaching of Jesus. People are angry at what he's saying. This is not sweet Jesus time. This is not everyone's happy with what's being said. Jesus comes with great mercy and love and kindness, but he confronts the wickedness of the day. So we come to the sixth chapter of John. Jesus has met the disciples as they came back from their journey. He's tried to give them a place of rest up on the hills beyond Tiberias. He's tried to have some time alone with them just to reflect and rest and and talk together and teach them. But instead, a great crowd eagerly follows after Jesus. And when Jesus looks at them, scriptures say he had compassion on them. Well, part of what I want you to hear today is that Jesus sees the wickedness that is arising in America. All of it. And he has great compassion. Jesus does not want to bring judgment. He wants to bring his compassion. The judgment will come, and it will be bitter, because the righteous will be separated from the unrighteous. But they had seen his miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. And I want to stop just a moment. They had seen the signs. What is the sign? Well, there's a stop sign and it says, stop your car and look for oncoming traffic. You know what a yield sign looks like. You know what a highway sign looks like? Signs give us information that direct our behaviors to help us go where we need to go and to go safely to that place. But if we receive these miraculous signs and our only concern is the color of the sign and we don't obey the sign, we're due for some very serious consequences. So the scriptures call the miracles that Jesus did signs. There were seven great signs in the book of John. Signs that indicated that Jesus was in fact the Messiah and he should be listened to very carefully. So Jesus looks up and he sees this great crowd coming toward him. And he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, in Mark it tells us that these people had been with him all day. He'd been teaching all day and 
the people needed to get some food. They hadn't eaten all day. So Jesus asks Philip, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? What I like about this question is that it wasn't unusual for Jesus to ask this kind of question. His disciples don't seem to have been surprised that he wanted to feed them. Jesus wanted to feed the crowd. That his disciples expected him to have this kind of compassionate response for others. They just weren't sure how to carry it out. And the response, Alexandra, was that of a, of a businessman. Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for one to have a bite. So it's a business question. Okay, we can buy the bread, but we don't have the money. So what do we do here? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a matter of money. It's a matter of Jesus' compassion and what he wants to do to carry and to heal. So another of the disciples of Jesus, Andrew, and I love Andrew. He's always bringing people to Jesus. He came and he spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? There are 5,000 men, probably another 5,000 women, and perhaps a large group of children. Jesus said, have the people all sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. The men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And Jesus then took the loaves and he gave thanks and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. He didn't pass it out and say to his disciples, now tell the people there's a very limited supply. So don't take too much. Don't be selfish. He didn't do that. He said, feed them everything they want to eat. When they'd all had enough food to eat, in other words, when they were full, he said to his disciples, now gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I don't think that number 12 is by chance here. He's saying there is enough bread to feed the 12 tribes of Israel. There's enough. It's all left over. This also shows us that, uh, as you said, far from limiting the supply, God actually gave them more than they could even eat. So that's a great encouragement to us as we pray to not be afraid to really ask God for quite a bit. To ask for all that we need, and he'll give more than enough. So the people began to say, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. And Jesus, in his spirit, knowing that they intend to come and make him king by force, he withdrew to a mountain by himself so that he could pray. 
Now, there's an experience on the boat. We're not going to go into that today, but Monday we will. I want to focus instead on what about this bread? They all came looking for Jesus on the other side of the lake. They'd seen the disciples get in the boat and go. They had searched for Jesus in Capernaum. They'd not been able to find him anywhere. So they went over to the other side. And they said to Jesus when they saw him, Rabbi, when did you get here? But Jesus usually doesn't answer those kinds of questions. He goes right for the jugular. This is John, the sixth chapter, verse 26. I tell you the truth. You are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Okay, now Jesus is cutting right to the heart of the matter. The feeding of the 5,000 was a sign pointing to Jesus. That Jesus is himself the bread of life. You'll see that in just a moment. This is very instructive for us as we evangelize as we reach out to other people that it is sometimes these practical simple things like feeding people that lead them to seek Jesus and at that point they have now sought out Jesus these went from being people who perhaps maybe they just met Jesus a few days ago they saw him healing some sick people then once they themselves ate now they were willing to go to the other side of the lake. I mean, they're really dropping everything they're doing to go find this man. And now they're ready to hear. So this is a good example for us as we reach out to others to really meet them with their practical needs, to love them without having a condition on that, um, on that outreach. We're just helping them because they need it. And that opens up a door then to share the word of God, which we're going to see Jesus do right now. So it's important to see that what we do for others is to them to be a sign, a sign pointing them to a much deeper truth where their lives can be transformed. And frankly, in this wicked day, I don't know how to do that very well. You were sharing this, what's her name? Ariana? Tell us that story. This is a rather upsetting story. Uh, I had a friend who was sharing with me something that one of his friends is going through. She lives in Maryland. Uh, about five years ago, she had asked my friend who was telling me the story, if he would give her a baby, and he said no, because they weren't married, they weren't together. He said that he didn't 
want to be an absent father. So she, around that time, got involved in a lesbian relationship. And the woman she was with went online because she wanted to start up a threesome. So she went online and she found a Muslim man who said, Okay, I want you to both be my quote-unquote wives and convert to Islam and I'll give you the baby. So that's what ended up happening. So she now has a 10-month-old baby from this man who says that both of these women are his wives, which we know legally is impossible because this is in America. And she's in really in a crisis right now. She's actually the breadwinner of the family. She's uh, well-educated. She works for a university. She's making about 7000 a month, so she's supporting them. But this is a very good example of how lies keep people in bondage. I don't know her entire situation, but we do know, for example, the one lie that she's been told is that she is this man's wife. And if she really believes that, which she does, then there's all the things that go along with that. There's, well, I can't leave my husband. What will happen to my child? I'll be a horrible person if I leave. You know, she probably feels she would feel guilty about not supporting them financially if she were to leave. She wants to leave. This is why she's reached out to my friend. But she's having a very difficult time coming to that decision. That's a huge break she has to make. And this is not the first time I've heard something like this. And I just look at it and it's very upsetting to me that this is happening in America pretty much in plain sight right underneath all of our noses and yet it somehow remains undiscussed unaddressed hidden we're basically facing the church is going to have to establish the bait like the simple basis of monogamy that's where this is headed uh, especially, I, I, this is actually the second woman I have met in the pa or heard of in the past two months who was in a polygamous situation with a Muslim man. This is part of what happens uh, when we have such large numbers of male Muslim immigrants coming into the country in one time. Um, but this isn't just a Muslim issue. We have this kind of issue happening across the board with uh, Christian, quote-unquote, with Hindus, with Muslims, with atheists, where men are bringing women and their children into a kind of servitude or bondage. And we are very, we're struggling, you know, as Americans and as a church to even describe what's going on, um, to put words, to have the vocabulary to describe this phenomenon. This isn't just like some freak thing that's happening on the side. This type of thing is happening in every state in our country. And as I've just thought about it and looked at it, uh, if we consider, for example, it wasn't until the 1970s that women could have credit cards in their own name. Uh, as we all know, the women's suffrage movement didn't happen until the, the 1920s. And it was the church that brought it forward. So what we have is we now have legal, we have much expanded legal rights for women, mm -hmm. but women are tricked or deceived into not 
exercising those rights. And so you'll get women who say things like, my husband won't let me get a job. Well, the fact is, she has the legal right to get a job. Her husband can't stop her, but he has power over her. He may be um, threatening her. He may be, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, uh, controlling her through finances or through their children. Or through abuse. And so it effectively reduces the woman back to the place of not having those rights that she now has legally won. And that gets really ugly, as I said in the story that I shared, where you would then end up in polygamous situations. Um, and it's just very heartbreaking to me. And if you know someone in this situation like this, I just encourage you to pray for them, to be someone who can listen, who will pray with them if they want that, and see if there's anything you can do to help. I listened to a, a commentator after the State of the Union broadcast, and he was asked the question, what did you hate the most about Donald Trump's State of the Union message? His answer was shocking to me, but I understand. He said, I hated the most that he spoke about infanticide, that he spoke against killing our babies ripping them from the most sacred and holy place, the womb of a mother, and executing them. I didn't understand what he was saying at first. And then he went on and he said, the reason I hate this is that he had to speak about this. That it's such evil that has arisen among us and that we're so casual about this that we somehow have come to accept even infanticide in our culture. That breaks my heart, too. What have we become in America? What have we become? What have we done? And Jesus comes and he feeds the bread and he confronts the people and he says, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. In other words, in the face of all of the wickedness of our culture, Jesus is coming and saying to us, don't focus your attention on the food that spoils. Now, what's so important about food? Well, what's so important about food is that we can't live without it. It nourishes our bodies. It nourishes or poisons our souls. Food can destroy a person. And Jesus is not just talking here about the physical food that he fed the people. The disciples were only concerned about the physical aspect of the food. 
Jesus is concerned about the spiritual aspect of that food. Yes, and we often feel this way when uh, we are in a situation where we are being oppressed, where we're trapped in sin. We feel as if our soul is dying or we feel as if we're suffocating. And so Jesus is telling us that he can give us that bread of life, that he can bring life into our soul and free us from that feeling of death. Yes. In verse 28, the people then turn and they ask, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answers them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. We get a little bit further light on this if we look back to John chapter 4. You will recall that Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well while his disciples went into town and came back with food. And Jesus said to them, this is John 4:32. Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples asked each other, has someone brought him food? Jesus said to them, I am fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. So we're getting a little bit more uh, illustration of this in John chapter 6. We know that the spiritual life, the bread of life, is to do the will of God and to complete his work. Then in John chapter 6, which Pastor A just read, what must we do in order to accomplish what God requires? We're to do the works of God. Jesus said this is what God requires, that you believe in him whom God sent. Now this is actually rather shocking if you think about what it meant for these Jews to believe in Jesus at the time. To believe in Jesus was to go against all of the almost all of the religious leaders. If you believed in Jesus, you would be put out of the synagogue. So it was really a great step of faith to actually believe that God had sent Jesus Christ knowing that the institution, the Jewish synagogue, which claimed to speak for God, would reject you. It was kind of one or the other. So there was a real cost attached to this when Jesus said that you believe in him whom God sent, and there were actions attached to that. In verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Now, that statement, he's meaning, I am God. I am that which nourishes you. I am that which feeds you. And you must feast on me. He goes on. He who comes to me will never grow hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still do not believe. In other words, they've seen the sign of the loaves and the fishes. They've seen the signs of the miraculous things that Jesus has done. No one in all of history has done what Jesus did for them. They've seen the signs, but they won't believe the signs. And finally, Jesus just comes out and bold terms says, I am the bread. In other words, I am what you need 
if you're going to survive, if you're going to live. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. I will raise him up at the last day. The last day, of course, is the day he comes in glory. And there's a great resurrection. He says, I'm not going to lose any of you. But the Jews begin to grumble about what he's saying. Because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say now, I came down from heaven? And Jesus answers, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at the last day. He says, I am the bread of life. Verse 50, and here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which men may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. That is, my atonement will open heaven's door for you. Now, this raises the question. My wife sometimes does very surprising things. I'm never quite sure. And she came home last night with a box of many chocolate donuts. Now, we don't eat donuts. We don't eat donuts. We eat healthy food, not junk food. But she came home with this surprise. And she took one and I took one. And then I noticed that she took a second one. So, of course, I had to take a second one. Later in the evening, I went back to just check on the box and see how many donuts there were there. And she had eaten a third donut. Mini donuts covered with chocolate. And of course, I said, well, I can't let her have all the donuts, so I better eat a third one as well. Sometimes we're just hungry for junk food. Now, that's very out of normal for us. And it's not sin to eat a chocolate-covered mini donut. But I raised this issue. Do you want to get in on this? No. no. I raised this issue to say, in the spirit realm, God has called us to be very conscious of what we eat. Now, I think he wants us to eat healthy food, vegetables, proteins, not junk food. But what other kind of food are you feeding on in the spirit realm? 
Jesus is literally saying, look, there is a spirit realm here. And you have to decide if you're going to eat my flesh and drink my blood. We won't live very long if we don't eat food and drink liquid every day. Now, we can fast for maybe 40 days, and then we're pushing it, and the body begins to seriously break down. We can't nearly long without water. So what is the spiritual food that you eat? And what is the demonic food that you eat? Some of you eat a great deal more of junk food than you do of solid spiritual food because you have a taste for the chocolate donuts in the spirit realm. Now, I'm not going to push this today. We're going to talk more about it. But I'd like to open the phone lines for a few minutes. I wonder today, are there any of you who know you're caught in sin? And you want us to pray for you? If there are any of you who know that you have been missing the sign that God wants you to come and feast and you'd like us to pray with you? Would you call right now? 877-534-0780 Or if you'd like to pray for America, if you'd like to pray for our president and our Congress, call and let's take some time and just pray together. Again, call 877 877- Five three four zero seven eight zero. While we're waiting for your call, I wanted to point out one more element of this spiritual food. So uh, as you'll recall, we just spoke about John chapter 4, where Jesus said, I am fed by doing the will of the one who sent me and by completing his work. Well, what was Jesus doing while his disciples were gone? He was speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he was engaged in the work of winning souls. And not only that, but he gave her such a gift of grace, such not just regeneration, but of empowerment, that this woman was then able to go into her village and win other people to Christ. So when we speak of the spiritual food, if you are a Christian and you've ever experienced the joy of bringing somebody to Jesus, of winning their soul to Christ, and then there's an even greater joy when that person is then able to go out and bring somebody else to Jesus. You do know what it is to really feel that nourishment, that fullness, that excitement and joy. It's There's nothing more fulfilling for the spirit than to see souls went to Jesus and to see those people then able to go out and bring others to him. And in the midst of every difficulty to lift up your voice in praise and worship to Jesus, to not be turned to discouragement or hopelessness, but to stand by faith with great strength and testify to others the glory of Jesus. That means you've been feasting on the word of God. You've been feasting on the spiritual truth of Jesus Christ. Call 877-534-0780. We would welcome your call. 
We'd be happy to pray with you or for you or for you to pray. Mr. Producer, are there any calls? The phones are silent. <laughs> well, I don't want to go on teaching because if we do, you won't call. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you today because we're hungry for the bread of heaven. I'm hungry, Jesus, to be filled to the utter fullness as these men and women were filled and had all they wanted to eat. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I'm asking you to come and feed this group of people today who are listening. I'm asking Jesus, would you come in your glory and in your power? Would you feed us today? Lord, I see every kind of wickedness bubbling up, geysers of wickedness in America, things that we would never have imagined just a few years ago. Lord, it's going to take some very strong Christians to stand up against this wickedness and to bring your glorious deliverance to these precious people who've been deceived by the devil. Lord, I pray that you will feed us the bread of life, that, Almighty God, we can deal with the darkness and have victory over it because you promised you had won the battle over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Lord, we want to win that battle with strong words of love and compassion and testimony, leading men and women to feast on you, Jesus, and to leave the dregs of wickedness behind. Lord, would you come? Lord Jesus, let us each who is a Christian be as full spiritually as these men and women were full physically, who you fed in the wilderness. Jesus, and you, it was you who multiplied the food. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would multiply your power in us, that each person now listening who has their heart set on this would have a multiplied success in winning souls to you, Jesus, who are truly changed in their hearts, in their lives, in their minds, in their thoughts, in their words, in their actions, who really are saved completely, made into new holy people in whom you live and dwell and who are restored to the image of God. And Jesus, I also want to pray for our country. We are in such a state of tumult. There's so much upheaval happening in our country right now and in some respects it seems that there's advances being made. There's now there's now demands for moral righteousness in our representatives and on the other hand our representatives are being paid millions of dollars to introduce bills that they would never introduce under normal circumstances that are against the best interests of the American people. Lord Jesus, I'm asking that you would really bring a revival in our country. Yes. And that you would bring peace and justice and righteousness as the norm to our nation. 
and that you would break all of the bonds of Satan that are keeping men and women and children captive, that are either keeping them captive to sin or captive to other people's sins. Lord, let all those who wish to flee be freed by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave yourself up for us so that we could have freedom and life and eternal life in the life to come. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Lord, as this wickedness grows and grows and grows in our nation, let not your people touch this wickedness, but call us out in strong terms to stand resolutely for righteousness. Lord, many times it's difficult to tell the difference between a pagan and a Christian because everybody wants to get along, but today that's no longer true. Today there's a dividing line between the righteous and the unrighteous. Lord, let every person today who is playing that line and standing on both sides, let that be broken in the name of Jesus. Let the demonic powers that have seduced the people of God, let that be broken now in the name of Jesus. Lord, let every deception be uncovered for your people to see clearly where they stand with you. Almighty God, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Lord, it's not people we condemn. Lord, it's Satan we condemn. You said in the Lord's Prayer to stand firmly and ask to be delivered from the devil. Lord, I'm asking for deliverance today for your people from every form of seduction and darkness, from every deception that would turn the heart of your people into hopelessness and bitterness. Lord, let your people rise up in this city today and begin to rejoice over your goodness. Lord, don't let us be caught as a Republican or a Democrat. Lord, let us be Christians. Let us not speak ill of other people, but let our mouths be full of the praise and worship to you, Jesus. Lord, give us the courage to speak against injustice and wickedness and sin. And in our mouths, let a testimony be born that Jesus is the answer. That as we walk with you, Jesus, as we, as we separate ourselves from darkness, as we repent, would you feed us with the bread of heaven? Would you give to us that which we need to nourish and strengthen our hearts for the battle that is at our door? Lord, it's no longer coming. The battle is here now as America is in such a desperate place of brokenness and sin. Lord, I am asking today for the gift of revival in Washington, D.C. I'm asking for the coming Holy Spirit power promised 
that at the end time there would be a great harvest of souls. I'm asking for that harvest now in Washington, D.C., and especially among our listeners today. Lord, rise up and rescue your people and rescue the lost who would be willing to hear the gospel of peace. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, we're almost out of time for today's broadcast. If your cry, if your heart aches for revival in Washington, I invite you to come on Sunday to the National Prayer Chapel. We are a house church where we can be very serious about praying for revival. We are waiting on the Holy Spirit. If that's your cry, then come. Call me for directions. 703-489-1785. Again, that number. 703-489-1785. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. You can listen to this message again as well as past messages by visiting nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for National Prayer Chapel. And we welcome you to write to us at P.O. Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Thank you, and we pray this message has been a blessing to you. And we're very grateful for each of you who stands with us. Pray for us, please. Pray for revival in Washington. There has to be a pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God to counter the wickedness that is flooding men's hearts. We love you. You've been listening to Pastor Ray and Alexandra Greenlee. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon. Jesus.